All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Ethos of Boston Celtics podcast. It is I, your, co- uh, your host, Lucas Gander, joined by my co-host, Patrick Lonsbury, following a 116-100 to victory over the Golden State Warriors in Game 3. And Patrick, I'll tell you what, I was feeling like a million bucks after the game. How are you doing today, my friend? Pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. I, I definitely was feeling great going into this game, and uh, I feel even greater coming out of it. You know, it's it's simply at the end of the day, the Celtics team bounces back every time. It is going to be so hard to beat this team twice in a row at any point, no matter home court, road, doesn't really matter. They make such great adjustments and come out after losses in a very big way. Seeing the Celtics respond, man, just it has proven to me at this point, it just does not matter. They come back after losses in big ways and answer. They answer the call, and nothing's really changed in that regards. And there's no reason to doubt this team. Well, absolutely, man. You know, they bounce back every time. No, you know, I really don't feel like I made a, a too crazy of a bad prediction or anything last podcast because when you asked me if I had a prediction, I said I didn't have one. And if I was shoehorned, I leaned Warriors because of my uneasy feeling. But yesterday, you know, I woke up. I felt a lot better about things. Um, you know, I wasn't as uneasy as the previous night. So, you know, I might have picked the Warriors, but look at me. I'm glad I'm wrong. Like I said, I felt like a million bucks after the game. And, you know, I think the Celtics really – it was a big game for them to show up at home, chance to get a game up on the series, and uh, they did exactly what they needed to do, and they kept home court. So, listen, I think, you know, all things considered, we'll get into obviously the specifics of it, but all things considered, man, I mean, last night left me feeling really good. Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing that we didn't end up um, betting our lives on the actual game because I'd be doing a solo podcast today, and that would just be yeah, very yeah, sad. Real. Absolutely real. Hypothetical. <laughs> no, I'm, hypothetical me. I'm just <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. No, I mean this game was awesome, right? From the get go. We we saw a team that was really locked in and and very hungry. They were really planning on matching that intensity. And I think the intensity as we go into this game was starting with Jalen Brown. And um Jalen Brown came out with a lot of uh energy matching trying to do exactly what the Celtics needed from them. And, um, you know, they even asked after the game, asked about playing with more physicality. Marcus Smart credited Jalen Brown for the way he started the game. Smart said the Celtics followed Brown lead. Um, it was clear, man, Jalen Brown, he was he was phenomenal in that first quarter again. There's back-to-back games where he just comes out in the first quarter and just becomes an absolute torch, just coming out lighting people on fire. doesn't matter who's on him. He's just playing within the flow of the offense, kind of getting to any spots that he has. And I mean, he even said to himself after the game, you know, he, he blows by anybody who's tried to guard him in this series. And he's not lying. There's not anybody that can really put on Jalen Brown. We talked about how Draymond Green, you know, face guard him throughout this whole game and still able to be really efficient and get a lot of buckets on at the end of the day. So, um, Boston is, is lucky to have two guys that are Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who some people say they can't play together, but they both played really well in this game three to get a victory. Oh, yeah, I'm way past them not being able to play together. I mean, listen, if you're saying that at this point, like if you're one of the – if you're still saying that, I need you to uh, sit down and reevaluate what you're talking about, you know, look in the mirror maybe because they can very clearly play together. And, I mean, listen – Jalen was phenomenal, Pat. You know, you have Hoodie Mello, you have masked up Kyrie, and you have first quarter Jalen Brown. And he showed up once again, you know, really set the tone at the beginning of the game. And uh, I think one big thing for why the Celtics offense looked so much better, Pat, has to do with that aggressiveness, is attacking the hoop. You know, the Celtics put, made it in their mind. They, they're going to attack the hoop. They're not going to settle for bad shots, not going to settle for jumpers. You know, they'll take the open ones. But we are going to get downhill. We're going to get to the hoop. We're going to put pressure on a team who doesn't have an elite defensive big man. And with Draymond not really patrolling like a center fielder, like, you know, maybe he does. And, and you know, be in the paint with him face guarding Jalen, like you mentioned. Let's just open things up for the Celtics. So I think the Warriors are going to have to pick their poison, man, about how they defend. You know, are you going to let Jalen get that matchup on Clay, or are you going to sacrifice what Dre brings you in the paint? So I think we're in a favorable spot situation there and shout out to Jalen for coming out strong once again in the first quarter 
really stamping himself in the series for, you know, some of the non-believers who happen to be Celtics fans, truly. Yeah, and then you also have some people who I think are overreactors trying to say that Jalen Brown is better than Jason Tatum. And as good as he has been, it's just not the case. But um, going into this game, man, uh, my expectations were, you know, I, I really thought that we can come in here and match that intensity and we were able to. Um, something that was kind of a little concerning, though, uh, was when Tatum got fouled on the drive, like early in the game. You saw him go right to that shoulder and and grab it, and he was like trying to shake out his shoulder quite a few times. It was before and after those free throw attempts he ended up doing, uh, where uh, the Celtics left a lot of points on the line. They did not shoot well from the free throw line um, throughout this game. Multiple people were missing. Um, free throws even had Al Horford and Marcus Smart um, miss a pair each um, at the line. So um, it was just not not good in that regards. So there's also optimism, you know, with, with the way the Celtics play is that, man, we, we left points at the free throw line. And I think me and you both have already agreed on this is that we don't think that they played their best basketball even in this game. And they played pretty good at times, yes, but like best basketball, definitely not what the Celtics are still able to be capable of. Uh, I thought that they could have definitely been better, but that first quarter, you know, they set that tone. And then another thing that I noticed in the first quarter was they went small pretty early. Derek white came in for Robert Williams with like eight forty five left in the first quarter. So you're talking less than four minutes into the game. It was like three minutes and 15 seconds. And, and it just, after that, the Boston starts with like a 12, four run. Like they just came in with the small guys and just rolled, rolled like, um, I thought that was a pretty interesting tactic by Ime. So the adjustments again by Ime just coming in after a loss, he just finds ways to tweak things, tweak, 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 and he just counteracts anything that the opposing people have game plan for him for the next game, especially after a loss. And you saw a lot of success for the Boston Celtics in the first quarter. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think the one big reason why the Celtics are such, you know, a force is that is their versatility just as a team, right? You know, you mentioned they went small early. Late, what did they do? They went big late. So there's not a lot of teams that can really play the, those two big lineups that are still elite and also have the capability of roster flexibility, lineup flexibility, to go and still have an elite small ball style team. Um, and, you know, the Celtics can play really small with Rob at the five. I feel like they don't do that too much. It's usually – it's usually out at the five, but I just think the versatility that, you know, the Celtics size and, and um, different players offer them is like a huge advantage that they have over, not even just the Warriors, just an advantage period. You know, they can, they're very adaptable. I know, you know, a lot of people have probably said that, but that's one of my favorite things about the C's. And then Pat, you know, you brought up Rob. He didn't play very much in the four, first quarter, but I just got to drop a note right now, Rob. I mean, he was phenomenal, Pat. I mean, we were kind of worried about the knee, you know, I, I kind of had a better feeling, you know, with the rest, but obviously there's no guarantee when a guy's, you know, playing to that way. I mean, he didn't look injured. He didn't look injured last night, Pat. I mean, he looked phenomenal. He was in that 25, 26 minute range, which I think is perfect. Um, but, you know, I said this to you earlier on Twitter. I DM'd you this. I said, I mean, of all the guys who played more than 10 minutes, which is basically everybody but Peyton Pritchard who played, um, Rob led the league in offense or led the team in offensive rating with 138, led the team in defensive rating with 100, and you know, no doubt led the team in net rating with which 38. So they were 38 points better per 100 possessions uh, when he was on the court versus when he was not. Uh, he led the team in plus minus. And you know, I've talked to Pat multiple times about how plus minus is not a perfect stat. But when you when you combine the plus minus with what you saw in the game with a few other numbers, it's really indicative of how Rob played. Four blocks, three steals, and and the things that didn't show up in the box score, Pat, his hustle. How many times did Rob get you a ball on the floor or a 50-50 ball? I count three, four, five times where it was it was important moments and Rob was the first guy to hit the deck, or he was going up and getting a, a super contested ball that popped up in the air, maybe off a rebound or a tip pass. I just think that those things that even didn't show up in the numbers or the box score are huge. And Rob really played a, a well-rounded game. Four or five, didn't take too many shots, but, you know, still provided that inside threat that he needs to provide. So I just want to hand it to Rob Williams, man. He's dealt with a lot coming back from this knee injury, not playing at 100%. You know, 
not really being in a groove. Last night was a phenomenal performance from him, and I do I need to get him his flowers, basically. No, absolutely. Uh, Robert Williams is, deserves all the love that possibly can be thrown his way. He even had a, a, a very interesting quote after the after the game. It, it's a quote that scares me in the sense of him long term, but it also just shows the type of player he is and, and the sacrifices he is making by being on the court. He said, I'm just trying to be accountable for my team. We made it this far. I had a discussion with myself about pushing through this. I'm happy with how it's going. We'll worry about the injury after the season, but right now I'm still fighting. And that's just an indication that he's clearly in a lot of pain. And there honestly might be another procedure that he needs to have after this, after the series. And he is acknowledging probably, and you know, this is me just kind of, taking for what his quote is. I don't know exactly. Right. Um, but the fact that he had to have a discussion with himself about pushing through this is telling me that he's on a borderline of like maybe risking something even more really long-term by playing through. And that's the part that just kind of scares me because I think me and you both talked about it even before the series, um, even before the playoffs started was that we thought if Robert Williams is going to be at all risk of really affecting himself long-term we thought he probably should shut it down and just worry about longer term because we'd rather have him for the next two to five years rather than have him for one like good year um but it's it's gonna be tough honestly i'm gonna be honest maybe that was my thought at the time but when the championship is this close and if he is medically cleared to play and he is okay with it you know i'll probably sing a little bit of a different tune now if i'm just being completely honest like uh, I mean, listen, I'm not saying that I, I want the guy to risk long-term damage. I think that if he was at insanely severe risk, he probably would not be out there. But if Rob is cleared by these team doctors and he, like you said, had that convo with himself, man, and he feels like it's the reward is bigger than the risk, then I'm okay with him playing. And now I will say one of my things, though, and I think maybe Ime has kind of done this as well, is that Rob's – I mean, he has done it. But Rob has got to stay under a certain amount of minutes. If he plays like, you know, that 20, 25-minute range right now in the playoffs, we don't make him run 38 minutes like he, you know, was doing during the season. I think that's perfect right now. You know, don't overwork him like an insane amount, but he's still playing enough to make an impact. And, uh, you know, I do worry for Rob long-term. And, you know, I just – just on the human side of things, dude, I can't wait for Rob to put his feet up, you know, mentally – like literally and figuratively, like I can't wait for the guy to run for a while, relax, rest his legs, you know, get to rehabbing it back to full strength because you know he needs it. And honestly, Pat, I think Rob's a lot tougher, you know, than most people than than is perceived. You know what I mean? Because he's a tough mf'er. Like, bro, last game when Smart fell into his leg, like that had to be really painful. You could see it in his face. And then he comes out a couple of days later. Boom is balling out, and I just really got to respect the grittiness, you know, of, of Rob. And obviously, you guys, can, everybody can probably tell I'm over the moon with his performance last night. But I, I really think he earned all this praise, man, because we haven't seen him at his best at his second All NBA defense um, level, you know, the, for a little while now, you know, because of this injury and seeing him last night perform the way he did warmed my heart, and as a fan, and also just as a person who's happy for Rob. Yeah, his his health is definitely going to be a factor going into the next game with a only one day off. So it'll be interesting to see what type of minutes he'll be able to play in game four because the Celtics are going to need a man. They're a completely different team when he's able to go out there and give you 20, 23 minutes uh, in a game. So hoping that uh, Robert Williams will be able to do that. Um, another thing here on that first uh, quarter was something that was very clear. The Celtics were attacking Steph. Like, Steph was the main target. They were like, you know what? We're seeking out Steph, and we are going to attack him and attack him. And I even thought the moment where um, I believe it was Marcus Smart got the ball under the basket, and he did a pump fake and got Curry to jump on it. And you just see um, Curry bite on it, jump up, and, and draws that second foul on Curry. I thought that was just such a crucial moment, really putting pressure on, on Curry. is like not only are you attacking him, but now you just got him in foul trouble. So it means when you attack him now, he can't even really even 
try to put any type of effort because he's going to be so scared of putting that third foul on him. So uh, Kerr kept him in the game, and the Celtics just kept attacking him. I was like, all right, cool, we're going to attack him now. He can't even really be aggressive at all, or else he risks picking up a third foul. Um, so it was just a great strategy from the Boston Celtics. and Yeah, I think that was pretty big. You know, get him in foul trouble early. You know, get him in foul trouble in the, in the third quarter, even when he had – I think I believe he had four with a while to go left in the third. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, but – No, he did. He had four, but Kerr let him roll out I was there. About to say, he Kerr got hot. Kerr stayed in. And so, you know, you, you might say, oh, well, that didn't really matter. Well, the point you just made I think is great. I mean, you just have to – you can still be a good defender with a lot of fouls, but you do have to tone down your aggressiveness and your risk-taking on defense, right, when you have a lot of fouls. So I think Curry did that again, you know. Like you said, in that first quarter, man, they really took advantage of that matchup. Smart has always been a, a good post player for a guard. And I always love when he gets his post-ups because he can, you know, he makes the right read a lot of the time, you know. And a lot of the time that right read, in my opinion, is a shot because he, he, he can create space for himself in the post being as strong as he is. So getting uh, Marcus back in the post a little bit, putting Marcus in a position to succeed, I thought was terrific. And we'll get to Marcus. He had a freaking another bounce back game. Absolutely love to see it from Marcus. But I just think, you know, attacking Steph in the post with Marcus I was a matchup I liked. Yeah, I, I thought just overall getting getting after Curry. Like Curry's gonna be great, right? So what's the best way to kind of counter somebody who's gonna be great is by trying to do your best to attack him and wear him out on the defense. So, you know, when he's on defense, make him work. Don't let him breathe on that side. Get after him, make him play some defense, try to wear him out. And I think the Celtics did a really good job with that. As you see, uh, even over the course of the series, right, you, you look at Curry's numbers, uh, especially in the in the fourth quarter. Curry has six points on three of ten shooting and, and in the fourth quarter during these NBA finals. So, And he was 0-5 in the fourth quarter yeah. in, in this game. So I expect just, that. So that he was 0-5 in two fourth quarters then. You know, because he didn't play in the fourth quarter. In game two, correct. Yes. So my thing is, is that I expect that to change in game four just because of who Steph is. But I don't want to take away from how the Celtics have been defending him later in the games. They've been phenomenal. I mean, listen, we can admit he turned into a sicko in that third quarter. He was going berserk. Okay. That's their favorite quarter, man. That's their favorite quarter. That guy is silly. He's one of my favorite players to watch. He's just making silly shot. But uh, he also had some silly turnovers, if we want to talk about silly. I mean, he did. He really did. And that is one thing you can knock Steph for. He makes some bad passes, maybe, you know, careless with the ball. So that did help the Celtics. But as far as the fourth quarter is concerned, Pat, I think the Celtics need to keep that level of intensity on him on defense. But I would expect, you know, Curry to take – no, I could be wrong here. Maybe he'll be passive again, five shots. I expect him to you know, take seven, eight shots in one quarter in that in that fourth quarter um, because he is just, to me, he's their best offensive option, even if it's a – tell me if you agree, Pat. A bad shot for Steph Curry is a better shot than, you know, open obviously an open Draymond three. But, you know, a lot of other shots they can generate, I would rather Steph, you know, if I am want the best shot for the Warriors, I would take a contested Steph shot over – a contested clay shot or an open Draymond shot or, you know, golden pool jumper. So, no, absolutely. It's just the Celtics did such a good job of swarming them and getting the ball out of yeah, the I don't want to take yeah, it away. It's, it's kind of tough. You know, it is hard. It is hard. You know, it's they're forcing him to pass the ball, you know, get the ball out of his hands. But I would, I'm just saying I would expect Steph to be a, a little more aggressive here in game four. Because Steph knows, Steph knows a thing or two about uh, being down 3-1. So – uh, yeah, you're, you're not lying about that at all. So. Oh, I didn't need to take that shot at him. The basketball gods might get me for that. But. Oh, man, yeah. No, who knows what Okay, also, also, I just want to do a little quick intermission. Pat, about uh, touch on Clay's post-game comments, okay? Oh, yes. So, you know, I'm sure everybody was watching the game, and if anybody was at the game, they heard the Celtics fans chanting, F you, Draymond, except they weren't saying F. They were actually going through with the word. I mean, they were chanting it. You know what's how Boston is. Um, you know, very hostile environment. You know, as long as it's as long as you don't cross any lines as a fan, in my opinion, like obviously, you know, calling them names, being racist, obviously harassing the family, anything like that, you know, I think is off limits. But as a fan, you're allowed to be passionate. You're allowed to boo. 
listen, I don't see a real problem with it. I think people are being soft talking about it. And to Clay's point specifically, I have a little anecdote here. So Clay said, oh, you're swearing. You're swearing in front of some children, right? Oh, real classy Boston. Um, well, you know, the thing about Boston is, though, is that the kids be swearing too. Like, Pat, I was telling you before the show, I went to go play some basketball today, right? I, I was shooting around at the park playing some 2 on 2 You know, this little kid asked us after we finished our game if he could play with us for a little bit. He was about, he was nine years old, he told me. So, you know, we're playing, and I pretended to play defense on him, Pat. I was like, oh, we're running the box in one. So I, like, denied him. He says, oh, what the F? And he says it. So that kid was probably at the at the game, Pat, leading the uh, leading the fu champ for Draymond. So I just think that's in Boston's culture. You know, it's 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 a gritty city, and uh, I think that Clay is reaching there with that one. Given his own teammates swore at the podium in front of his own child. So does he think Draymond's a bad dad? You know, no, probably he doesn't. So that's why I think Clay is reaching there with the swearing thing. You know, I understand. You know berating a player constantly f you f that okay you know that i don't necessarily agree with but the chant from everybody in the arena you know i kind of do respect that you know as a as an onlooker i think that's hilarious the fans will do that um that's just my two cents on it i think that if you know boston you know that uh it's not just the adults swearing basically you know hey it's in the city's fabric (laughs) Yeah, I, I'm not even honestly. I don't. I don't even have much to say no, about there's not Thompson much. in his comments. Not. I'm not. I'm not even going in on the comments. Like, cool man, you want to contradict yourself at the end of the day? Go back and look at at the history of Clay Thompson in situations like that, and you'll see him just kind of make a fool of himself and step over his own type of words in the sense. So, yeah, I do. I do rock with Clay. I think he's a good guy, but in this instance, I think even when he was saying it at the podium, Pat, you could kind of see a smile creeping up on Clay's face, right? Like ever so slightly, so I don't really like want to like bash Clay or anything like crazy because I think he knew what he was doing. But at the same time, it is like, all right, you didn't you didn't care about some woman cussing out LeBron back in the day, but oh, now we got the kids around. All right, but I just wanted to touch on that. I don't think it's super serious or a big deal or anything. But I just thought it was the juxtaposition of him saying that about the kids and then a kid saying like "f off" to me today at a, at a basketball court. So. Uh, I just thought that was ironic. Oh, no, absolutely. And then uh, as we go into the – and this is the second quarter here that I wanted to break down a little bit was uh, I thought the Celtics had a really good rim pressure that was really disruptive for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, they were getting to the rim, also creating a lot of driving lanes. Um, and a guy that really went off in that second quarter that really started to find his flow was Tatum. Tatum was amazing on defense. He was good on offense, and then he was uh, amazing also with his playmaking. Uh, he he had a crazy stretch there where he ended up getting a, a three-pointer, then he got a, a layup, and then he got that steal where he tried to end up lobbing it up to Jalen Brown, who I thought was going to dunk it. If he would have dunked that, man. Uh, I know you, you said that the Garden wasn't as loud as it's ever been before. It was louder against the Nets series, but they would have something tells me – that that would have made the garden so loud that it would have beat out anything you may have heard of at that time. Like yeah, they would have, uh, oh, yeah, they would have freaking the top would have blown off the garden if Jalen yammed that out. You, Pat, I probably would have lost it honestly. If he caught him Oh man, I thought it was going. I thought it was going to be a dunk, but Jalen came up uh, not not going up high enough for that one. Uh, but it was a it was a solid pass too. It was like a really dope pass. It was like nonchalant and. I was just like, oh no, this that would have been just a crazy sequence for Tatum, who just got the steal on that too. It would have just been insane. But ultimately, man, uh, Tatum got going in that second quarter. Uh, he he really decided to to turn it up a notch and and go on one of his little stretches there. And then that's where also Smart kind of got whatever he wanted off screens. Like that's where he just kind of was just hopping over guys and just out hustling and and really getting inside and, and taking advantage. That's where Marcus Smart needs to live, to be honest, in this, this series is that take advantage of being the bigger guard and, and get down into the post and and go up. You're, he's such a good player within five feet, seven feet of the basket that in this series uh, we, we could really use that more often. So I'm hoping that Marcus Smart ends up deciding going in that direction for the offense. Yeah, 100%, man. I mean – he can really take advantage of attacking the hoop. He has a great touch. That little post fade he has is actually a really good shot. 
Um, you know, it might not like look like the highest quality shot, and I don't know what the percentages bear out, but Smart has that shot down. I feel like that's one of the shots he's very confident taking and making. So I definitely like – I know what you – you know what I'm talking about. The little post fade gives you a couple bumps. Fades to his left, I feel like. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a shot he's comfortable with taking and making. So I like that shot. Also, three of seven from three. That's pretty good right there. I mean, listen, I'm not asking him to, you know, be an elite shooter, but if he's going to shoot seven threes, you know, he's got to make probably around at least, at the very least, two, but three. That's a good range right there. Uh, I believe- Man, he's really knocking down that whole three, uh, seven three-pointer thing where he, we lose every time he shoots more than seven, and he's just kind of been slapping it in people's faces lately. Right, exactly. Um and, you know, I thought he was just – I mean, I thought he was really phenomenal outside of, you know, his five turnovers, which were not great. Um, I thought he was really phenomenal, and if he can cut down on the turnovers, it probably would have been a perfect game from him, you know. Um, but I thought he bounced back in a major way. You knew he was not going to have two points again. Um, what was it, 24-7-5 and five he finished with? I mean, that's just a terrific game on good shooting splits with – Elite defense. Okay, he was blowing up Warriors actions left and right. He was playing amazing defense. That's why he's defensive player of the year. Um, man, smart with a really, really great game, man. I just he bounced back in a big way. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. There were stretches in that game where he didn't look great, and it looked like he possibly could, but he definitely finished off in the second half a lot mm-hmm. better. That third quarter wasn't great for the whole team. Uh, again, you know, kind of breaking down. They just lacked urgency again, man. I don't know what it is that that third quarter that the Warriors just like go into a Super Saiyan three mode, and and you got freaking the Celtics like, oh, we're just gonna chill in Super Saiyan and try to beat you. And it's like, no, man, you got to match it up, man. You got to level up with them, and you got to match that type of energy in order to compete with them. Um, they eventually did calm down in that third quarter, but it, it took uh, a self, you know, Celtics lead diminishing just right in front of their eyes and not able to um, hang on. And then they ended up kind of getting back into the flow of things, but you even had that really crazy flagrant play on Steph Curry. They ended up being a three pointer with a foul with a flagrant four points. And then they end up hitting a crazy three pointer from, I Otto believe was Porter. it was auto Porter. Yeah. Auto Porter just hit one with, with the play clock winding down and literally expiring, hits the buzzer and goes in, and you're just like, wow. Uh, and that was right too. You know, they were missing free throws as well right before that. So you saw a 17 point lead just diminish. But then uh, the Celtics were able to respond, and they responded in a big way, man. They they definitely were able to bounce back and um, end up going on a kind of a run of themselves. Uh, I think what Celtics outscored the Golden State Warriors 34-17 after Curry had a three-pointer that put the Warriors up 83-82 to in the third. So um rest of the game, you're going to outscore 34-17. to That's that's the way to respond. That right there is, is how you respond to a big third quarter. So uh, still something that they need to work on in general. I, I just I hate watching the third quarter now. Like it's my least favorite quarter coming up. Like, all right, here we go. Third quarter. How many points are the Warriors going to get on us and how much effort are we going to bring until we can finally catch back up to the Warriors? And at least in this one, we were able to, to get the lead back before the fourth quarter started. But, man, I, I just hate I hate the third quarter and watching leads just diminish. Yeah, you know, the Warriors are an elite third quarter team. And, Pat, I would even reason to say that uh, Stephen Curry went Super Saiyan God or maybe even Ultra Instinct there in that third quarter. I mean, he was on another level, four or five from three, five or eight from the field, really was just going off. And the Celtics took that punch and rolled with it. You know, they like you said, they got the lead back before the fourth quarter, um, and that was very promising to see. But the third quarter, I, I agree with you, Pat. It's not very enjoyable against uh, against these Golden State Warriors. But I do think it was, you know, nobody was really great, but we got just enough from everybody in that third quarter. You know, by the time that 12 minutes was up, that we were still in a relatively good position. Yeah, and I, I think Tatum also was pretty good later in that third quarter. Uh, Brown was great, and then that kind of trickled into the fourth, right, where we saw excellent rebounding on both ends, on the offensive and defensive boards. And then Tatum started realizing, like, hey, I can legit get to this rim and get layups all day. He had a little bit of a weirdness to him earlier in the game where he kind of had, like, three weirdly 
easy layups he missed. And then like fourth quarter, he was making all of his layups and they were tough. So I, I'll take it, you know, Tatum bounced back well there. And then smart had, that's when smart started hitting some clutch buckets. And then Jalen Brown on the defensive side of the ball in the fourth quarter was phenomenal, man. And we've talked about it in the past where he's maybe been the most, you know, unreliable defender out of the starting five. I think that's changed now. I, I think the, the person who, you know, when you're, picking hairs now might be Al Horford. Al Horford might be the the, the worst defender um, in the starting five, and that he's not even a bad defender. He's just had a really tough series in this Warriors matchup due to the fact of Curry being able to stretch out the team so far out, and he's just been in too much of a drop coverage um, than we've all liked, and it's not really his fault at the end of the day. Like Rob can kind of – stay back a little bit and still recover with his athleticism where Al Horford, if he gets up too much, he gets blown by as well. So he's kind of just in a, in a very tough um, situation when he has to go up in those pick and rolls. So um, good job though, by Jalen Brown, just fully locked in on both sides of the ball, his intensity, his leadership in this game. Amazing. The, the Celtics definitely followed his lead in a lot of ways. And Jason Tatum was able to take the Celtics home pretty much in that fourth quarter with some help from Marcus Smart and some big buckets. Yeah, absolutely. I think this isn't a great matchup for Al. But uh, just to your point about Jalen, I mean, I know we've talked, you know, a couple times about how Jalen, you know, maybe struggles defensively. And I have definitely myself, you know, probably given Jalen a little bit too much of a hard time on the defensive end. But he was phenomenal last night. I mean, he moves his feet. Like there was one possession where he guarded Steph Curry, poked it way out of bounds. I mean, Okay, there was some hand-checking going on, but listen, it's the playoffs, you know, there's going to be physical basketball, but Jalen definitely stepped up in the defensive department. You know, offense, I don't really have questions. You know, maybe he takes bad shots, but when he plays as well-rounded of a game as he did last night, you know, he's quite a good player. Um, And an all-star level player, mind you, I think. I still am mad he didn't make the all-star game this year, but that's a conversation for another day. But, uh, no, Jalen was absolutely locked in defensively, man, and without that elite defense – from Jalen, I think, you know, the series is going to be a lot harder. I mean, that sounds kind of stupid now that I said it. Like, oh, when your best players doesn't play good defense, it'll be harder to win. Yes, but I think Jalen can just rise his defense up to – I don't want to say elite because that's – I will be wearing my green goggles, okay? But he rises it up to a very good level, okay? And, uh, you know, I think that's huge for the Celtics when you have two guys – actually, I'll say three guys who are – Damn good on both sides of the ball. So I think that makes a really, really big difference. So, Who are those three guys? Smart, Jalen and Jason. I mean, Rob and Al are really good on both sides of the ball too, but I think that they, those three guys I mentioned previous carry bigger loads. They just do offensively. Okay, I'm just. I was just double checking there. I wanted to give clarity to the people, you know, who are listening. And they want. They want to hear no, no, names. No, no, no. They want to hear names. They don't want to hear numbers. They want to hear names. And if you want to put Al Horford in there, I mean, if you want to put Al and Rob in there, I'm not going to fight you on it at the end of the day. But like I said, it more has to do with the, like the amount of responsibility carry on both sides of the ball because Rob obviously carries massive responsibility and Al on defense. And, you know. I would say Rob carries more of a load on defense than Al does, and vice versa. Al carries a bigger load on offense than uh, than Rob. So that's why I didn't include him there. I think Jalen, Jason, and Marcus can be two, you know, or three elite two-way players here. And we're going to need that going up against the Warriors. No, I agree. But um, another thing here as well to notate was Clay Thompson played pretty well in this game. Uh, again, Andrew Wiggins was was really solid and efficient, uh, but Clay Thompson finally got himself going a bit. But in a way, I also said that I, I think this might be one of Clay Thompson's best games of the series. Uh, this is kind of what we we're a little fearful of him kind of getting going a little bit. He had some stretches, but ultimately cooled off at the end. And then, you know, Steph Curry was super efficient: twelve of 22, 31 points. He came out swinging; it was really good, but. Nobody really outside of Wiggins, Curry, or Thompson was able to even really muster more than 10 points. Jordan Poole was 4 of 8, 1 of 4 from deep, 10 points. Went back to being minimized uh, in his uh, significance. Uh, it's kind of crazy. He, he shrunk again when 
uh, the, the games are close. You know, uh, he, last time, I, like I said in the last podcast, I, I just don't see Poole being effective unless the, the score is in Boyers' favor and, that, and him feeling more comfortable shooting the ball. Um, I also think, uh, you know, the Celtics, you know, being in that hostile environment, to me, Poole's not ready for the moment. Like, uh, he he's probably never played in, in, in an arena like the Garden with this much on the line. And I do think, you know, there's credence to what you're saying, you know. I mean, but that's just, to me, that's any player pretty much. I mean, there. I would say you're looking at guys who are unaffected by close games. That's a minority. And Jordan Poole is a third-year player, still very young. So I'm just saying, I'm not expecting him to, like, be Stephen Curry, right? But I do think that, you know, in Boston, he's definitely going to struggle. It's going to – listen, he's a very up-and-down player too, a little bit streaky, okay? And I especially think that if we get game one and game three Jordan Poole, Pat, that's huge for the Celtics. I mean, that's huge. I mean, they're going to need him. My thing at the end of the day is, like, Wiggins and Curry and Thompson aren't going to be enough to beat the Celtics at the end of the day. You need Poole. Like, Poole has to be effective for them to to really contribute. And it's the same as, like, with a Tyler Hero situation for, like, the Miami Heat, right? Like, if Tyler Hero is struggling when he comes off the bench, it's Miami struggles. Like, they, they're they struggling team as well to get up enough points to win games. So, um, the Warriors just need Poole, and I don't know if Poole is up for that challenge just yet. He might be able to earlier in his career. A uh, great player, just – uh, the moment right now is it might not. It's just a tough moment. Like I said, this this matchup was not in favor of him, and I think he he is one of the people that doesn't have that experience uh, as the other you know two three guys that are on the roster um, as well. And but but somebody also that that played even more worse than more worse uh, even worse than Jordan Poole would would be Draymond Green and Draymond Green coming out with. <laughs> Two points, three assists, four rebounds, and fouling out in 35 minutes is—I mean, that—that's terrible. That you, to be somebody who a lot good? of people would claim to be the third best player on this roster, like that's not going to cut it, man. That is not going to cut it. And, and Draymond said it in the press concert, conference after as well that he he played like crap, like he did. He, oh yeah, he did it on oh, national TV. Yeah, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it. it no, I'm joking. I obviously do not care. I, I don't care either, but, you know, um, they're going to need more out of Draymond Green. I think Draymond Green knows they're going to need more out of him. So I'm expecting him to come out really aggressive in game four, uh, especially trying to impact the game in, in numerous ways. But uh, the Celtics did a good job, man. I, I also, like we talked about Robert Williams' impact. There's times where Robert Williams just grabbed rebounds right over Draymond and just went back up with it and got points. And it was just like he just wanted it more. And – he he sunned Draymond. Yeah, he's also he yeah. I mean, he physically has the advantage over Draymond. But Rob's an absolutely elite athlete with elite wings. You got Pat, you got hella back on those like the two minutes. What was that? You have you've had a, you've had a lot of background noise here the last two minutes, but uh, no. But okay. I was saying like uh, um, this guy Rob. I mean. His wingspan is huge. His vertical is high. You know, I think he has that physical capability to go up and do what you said, right? Son Draymond on the offensive glass. If Draymond's not boxing out, if they're both going for the rebound, I'm not trying to slight Draymond and say he's a bad rebounder or nothing, but I'm going to take Rob in that scenario. I think Rob, you know, is going to be able to go up and get the rebound, you know, a little higher than Draymond can. And I don't think I'm, you know, breaking any news with that one, but no question, Pat. Draymond has absolutely got to be better. Um, absolutely. And uh, if they need to get at least average offense from him, they cannot be playing five on four offense, which is pretty much what they're doing. And uh, listen, I don't know about you, Patrick, but anytime Draymond is shooting pretty much anything outside of a layup, I'm a hundred percent content with that defensive possession. Obviously I'm not saying like give him an open five foot jumper or five foot floater. But you get what I'm saying. Like anytime, you know, he's taking a shot that's not a virtually a layup or a dunk, I'll live with that because I think Steph, even Clay, JP, an open shot from Otto, you know, I think I would rather live with Draymond, you know, having to score, having to take a lot of shots at the end of the day. So I think Ime's defense and, you know, Draymond's lack of offense really just make for him getting ignored on that end. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think that Draymond is his inability to provide offense is really showing. And people don't understand like this Warriors team is so good on offense, but holding them to a hundred points is that's an achievement, man. It shows you how strong the Celtics defense is able to hold up at times and, and be so efficient at affecting what they're trying to do on that side of the basketball. Um, overall, man, uh, I thought we had a lot better intensity throughout that fourth quarter. We made good adjustments on the pick and roll and the team came together collectively to bring this series two to one. And now the Celtics are two games away from winning an NBA championship. They need two more wins, man. That That is just crazy to hear with how the season started and, and where we are now, but they're here, man. They, they want are knocking on the door. Um, I think Jason and Jalen are, are really hungry and are going to do everything they can. It's, it's coming down to the turnovers and the supporting cast, you know, just doing the role, man. We're not asking like we don't even need smart to be a 20 plus per game guy. I mean, we need 15. Like we said, we need 15 from him, 15 from Al and, you know, have the bench combined for like 25, you know, that that's enough right there. Let, let the Jays take it from there. They can supply the, the extra, you know, 50 to 60 points the rest of the night. So, um, just just love seeing this team come together as a group and bring up that intensity. Uh, Boston is is looking forward to having short rest here and, and having to play tomorrow as well. Uh, that's going to be a little on the tougher side, you know, less break. And then we also had the situation where the, the Curry gets landed on by Al Horford and he kind of got banged up throughout that last bit of, action and before Kerr pulled him. I thought Kerr should have pulled him a little sooner, especially after that whole having Horford land on him and stuff like that. He had, he had an issue with his foot, same foot that he sprained back when he last played uh, the Celtics, but it doesn't look like it's a serious. He was shooting shoot around nope. today, and he's looking like to be yep. ready for game four. So glad to hear Curry no looks MRI good. Required. Yep, no MRI required. Said he's going to play. I, I don't want Steph Curry to be injured, okay? I know, you know, some people might be like, oh, that's crazy. You would rather have him play than not play as a Celtics fan. Yeah, I would. Okay. I want to be, I want to play the Warriors at their strongest. I don't want Steph Curry to get injured in the finals because I want him to have a chance to, you know, do his thing out there. I also just never want to see players get injured in general, no matter, you know, the severity or anything like that. Even if it's just a sprained ankle, oh, he'll, he'll be better in a week. No. Okay. I want to be out there full strength. I don't want people to be able to use any, uh, oh, look, the Warriors weren't full strength excuse against the Celtics on top of all that. But, but uh, separate of that, when the moment where Steph hurt his ankle, I don't want you know my words to get misconstrued. That play where it happened, um, that loose ball pat was one of my favorite plays of the entire game, because for a few different reasons here, both teams were going all out to get the loose ball. You just gotta love that type of desire and effort. Two, that is one of the longer loose ball scrums you'll ever see. I mean, Pat, it probably only lasted, what, a few seconds? But I'm watching that. It felt like it lasted like 10 minutes, you know, when they're all fighting. They were letting them struggle for it. It was wild, man. I, I like that. I, I like that. That was electric. It was intense. Um, and you know who ended up with it, Pat? Marcus Smart. Marcus freaking Smart. Who else but Marcus Smart? And Rob kind of got in there to, like, mess it up a little bit. And then, of course, Smart comes out of the pack with it. And much to, you know, the Boston Garden crowd's delight, mine as well, it resulted in Draymond Green getting foul number six and uh, having to send him off to the bench. So that was glorious. I just thought that was a really awesome, entertaining, electric play. You know, it sucks that Steph got hurt on that play. You know, I I don't want people to, like, once again, misconstrue what I'm saying. That injury was my least favorite part of the play, and I wish it didn't happen, but Everything before that, you know, and, and uh, irregardless of that, it was awesome. You know, that's the type of basketball. I mean, listen, I love that. Diving on the floor for a loose ball, fighting, you know, the desire to win. I mean, I don't think you can get better than that. And it might not be the prettiest play, but it definitely was uh, one of my favorite plays in the game, Pat. No doubt. No, it was just like a, a total scramble for the ball. And it, it was just insane. There were some wild possessions, though, throughout that fourth quarter where, like, the Celtics were, were kind of – throwing passes as they jump and they were barely getting caught. And then they had to throw it again. It, it was just, 
were nuts, man. It, it seemed like the, the energy level was super high and everybody was just kind of playing super fast and it, everything was happening so quickly. But uh, ultimately, we're, we're hoping that Steph Curry is, is healthy for game four because, you know, we want uh, all players to be healthy at the end of the day, whether they're Celtic players or not Celtics players. We like the competitive nature of the game and we want to see everybody come, come out and give their best effort. So uh, I'm excited for, for game four. I don't know how you're feeling, Lucas. Uh, are you feeling like you can't make another prediction or? No, we have oh, no, a prediction. I have a prediction and it's, and it's the Celtics winning. That's my prediction. I'm going to bury the Ooh. lead right here. It's the Celtics winning. Okay. I'm feeling good. I told you I feel like a million bucks. Okay, I feel like – and listen, obviously the Warriors could still win, okay? This is why I don't like prediction because at the end of the day, anything can happen, and I don't want to sound like, um, like, oh, I know better. I can see the future. No, but listen, the way I feel, the way the Celtics played, you know, I think the really big thing that I am worried about is Rob's health because if Rob can play even close to the level of what he did in game three, I think that gives the Celtics a big advantage. I think they stopped playing like – Okay, let me not say – I don't have grounds to say that as a media member, but Ime said that can we stop playing like a-holes. And I think they played a lot more cohesively here in this game, and uh, I think they come out and do that. I think they can even limit their turnovers a little bit more than they did in game three, and I think they're going to go back to Golden State up 3-1 because I'll tell you, Pat, I do not want to go back to Golden State 2-2. I know people say, oh, well, it's still even – this and that, like, you know, you can't feel too bad. Well, I don't want to go down 3-2 against the Stephen Curry-led team. I'm sorry. I just don't want to do it. I think Steph is that quality of player. I don't want to have to f- – and, you know, everybody's going to retort with that we're so good with the back against our wall, right? And I agree with that. And the Celtics have shown me nothing but being good when their back is up against the wall. But my thing is it's better to not have your back up against the wall in the first place, right? I don't want it to have to get to that point. So I have the Celtics winning this game, Pat, 112 to 107. Game four, Celtics take a three to one lead and have a chance to close it out in game five and, uh, you know, get themselves one game closer to Banner 18. But, Pat, I wonder if you, I think you have a different prediction than me, but I would love to hear it. Oh, man. Uh, I love, I love the, you don't want to see him get buried or, or, have their back against the wall to, to watch them, especially against the Warriors team. And we definitely don't want this to even go seven games and be on the road again like we did in Miami. Everyone said we didn't want that series to go to seven games either. Um, it's just this team has always chosen to go the hardest route. No matter where, like, yeah, it just would be more ideal to do this. But my also thing is, like, if we would have lost the first two games and then won the next two, the series would have been 2-2, and I think we'd been feeling good. Um, so with that being said, I do think the Celtics win game four. Whoa, however, okay. however, it's way more of a must-win game for the Warriors than it is for the Celtics. I still feel great if we leave 2-2. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's where we, I think we kind of, that's, that's the disconnect between us. And if we, I expect us to be obviously leaving three, one, but if we leave two, two, cool, you know, they, they can have that at the end of the day. I still just, I don't think the Warriors can beat us two games in a row and I'm going to stand on that Hill and die on that Hill. I don't think any team could beat us two games in a row. And it's more so of not only the players, but the way Eme is, coach throughout the playoffs and I'm just trusting what I've seen. I'm not trying to be like, well, the Warriors are this, Warriors are that. Cool. Warriors are whatever, but I've seen this team and I saw how they responded to Giannis, the defending champs. I saw how they responded to a very bullying Heat team. And my thing is that I just think the Celtics team will not be beat twice in a row. And that's why, I mean, if they are able to come in and win game four, there's no way I see this team, um, you know, going down, you know, end up folding the series. As long as people stay healthy, of course, you know, injuries are a part of the equation as well. But I'm just assuming that there's no injuries and stuff like that. I just think that the the Celtics here have the ability to capitalize and really put themselves on top with a 3-1 victory. Oh, and a huge opportunity, Pat. Huge, huge. huge. This is a huge, huge game, man. But, and while I do, 
Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, but I still feel like the pressure's on the Warriors, man. The Warriors are at the most pressure right now because they've already lost yeah. home court. They ha- this is them trying to fight and scrape back getting it. This if they don't win this next game, that is super deflating in my eyes for them. I was going to say, listen, I agree with you that there is that this there is more pressure on the Warriors, but for me, I still feel, and honestly, I would wager the players feel the same way. There is still a lot of pressure on the Celtics because okay, two two is not the worst thing in the world, right? But you tell me how much different is two two and three one? Let's be real. Okay, and, you know, somebody could say, oh, it's only one game, right? Okay, but let's be real. If you look at the percentages of, you know, the team's chances to win after going 2-2, going into an away game in game five versus being up 3-1, I'm sure that scale is tipped like crazy for the 3-1. So that's why I still feel I don't disagree that the Warriors have more pressure on them because going down 3-1 is bad, obviously. But I do still feel there is a significant amount of pressure to uh, amount of pressure on the Celtics to win this game, and I think they respond well to that pressure. You know, iron sharpens iron, man. Let's- uh, yeah, and 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 another thing, maybe maybe I'm just overly confident because of the Buck series. I think the Buck series kind of like really made me confident. Right, you go down like three two against the the Bucks, and you're over here. You even the series, you tie the series up, and you have to go on. You know. Back home, I know we won't have home court if we go to seven, but like you're still going against Giannis, the best player that we say in the world, and, and you're able to overcome that and win two games straight against Giannis, which was insanely tough. But the Celtics were able to do that. I just, I see the Bucks series, and I'm like, man, I feel like the Bucks series is tougher than this. And I understand this is a little different. And, and yeah, and that's fine to disagree, but just just the overall of like. There's nothing like you could just keep trying. We tried different game plans, game plans, and Giannis just continued to be a problem. And it was just more so about his supporting cast waiting for them to just kind of like hopefully they're off. Well, that's that's one big thing right there. I would say the two big reasons why this to me is a bigger challenge is that the the Warriors have better players around their best player than the Bucks do, right? Without Chris Middleton, okay. Um, just for me, Giannis just kind of carries like. Two players. Like he's also, almost two players production-wise. But, but also, right, I would say the biggest reason, even maybe more than that, Pat, is that Steph Curry is a guy, okay, not – I'm not – the three-pointer, okay, sure, that's a thing, right? You know, he obviously can – is an all-time – the best shooter of all time versus a guy who's a historically bad shooter from outside. But what my thing is, is Giannis is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Amazing. I believe he's the best player in the NBA. But at the end of the game, say the Celtics are down four, they're up four, it's a tie game, whatever. For my money, Steph Curry's the better guy getting a shot off, you know, getting his own shot off and scoring. And I know he's old 10 in the fourth quarter, but for me, he just offers a different style of threat than Giannis that I am more scared of when a team needs to get a bucket. I am more scared of Steph Curry. And that's kind of the role that Chris Middleton played on that Bucks team, which is why it was such a big absence which we don't need to, you know, dive that back into all that. But that's where I'm like, when my back is up against the wall against Steph Curry, we're down by seven right. in the fourth quarter, right? Steph just can make three shots with four minutes left and the game is, whoop, doesn't even look close anymore. That's the difference between this series and that series is I feel like Steph has that leg up on Giannis. So I just don't want He has the 3.3. He's a walking 3.3. against the wall against the guy who I, I, I've seen do some just – Otherworldly, ridiculous things in the basketball. So that's my. Hey, no, that's that's fair. That's a fair take. But I also, you know, listen. I also understand where you're coming from, though. The Celtics team has proven to me, to you, to everyone in the world that you know we can come back from adversity. We actually are almost better when we're facing adversity now, which seems like a wild thing to say, Pat. Can you imagine if you said that in June of 2021? No, there's there's no way I would have even said that. That's credit to Ime. That's credit to the guys. That's credit to Brad. That's credit to pretty much everybody from top to bottom. So feels good to be here, Pat. And hopefully we go up 3-1, man, because I'm telling you, the mood that last night I was in, man, if we go up 3-1, I don't even – listen, you might have to uh, – I don't know. I'm going to be in a damn good mood, though. I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah, and my, my total score for for game four, uh, as I got a little off topic there going into the honest things, but – <laughs> I, I'm going to have the Celtics coming out on top at 116-108 victory at home in game four to go 3-1 in the NBA Finals. And I think I'm going to call it right now, man, uh, this this next game, 
this is going to be the Jason Tatum game. This is the this is the talk, right? Like everyone's talking about, oh, Jalen should be the Finals MVP. There's a conversation. There's definitely a conversation, and and you, Lucas might even agree as Jalen being the front runner. For me, it's still Tatum. It's I, I to do. me, it's still Tatum, even with the assist numbers and stuff. But uh, this will be the Jalen game or the Jason you. game, and I think Jason's going to come out in this game and and really um, take it home for the Boston Celtics and put this team on his back. I would love that. I would love that. I would love another marquee performance for Jason. But to me, it's going to be more game three, more game three style. You know, everybody's going to be chipping in. And I think that's how the Celtics should play and should win. And, you know, if Jason's hot, okay, duh, no duh. I'm okay with him taking 30 shots, dude, if he's cooking. If he's shooting 17, 18. Oh, I'm, I'm thinking like an efficient. I'm thinking efficient. I don't even need him to take more shots. I mean, 18 shots, but he's going to be like 11 of 18. 12, 12. Okay, see, that and, and, he, and he gets a lot to the line. Yeah. That's pretty much that's, – that's almost what he did in this game, right? I mean, I know he only took – I believe he only ended up taking it. He ended up taking 17, but I'm expecting to be a little bit more efficient. I think it was 7 of uh, 17 or something like that, or 8 of 17. And um, I, I want to see him go yeah. 11 of 17 and then also get to the free throw line a little bit more, maybe finish around like 33, 34 points on the night and chip in with like six assists and uh, nine rebounds, eight rebounds. Oh, no, he was nine. Oh, actually, he took way more shots than I thought, actually. He was nine of 23. So oh, yeah, I hear you. So it's more about the efficiency for you. Okay, okay. I got I'm just you. expecting to be really efficient, really precise with his decisions as, as attacking. Because, you know, I just look at that last nine game and he again. probably botched like four layups. Like he, he could have ended up like he some did. easy he ones too. Did. So uh, I, I think he's going to do some. I think he'll have a really, no, really good game in game four. And now, listen, I don't like, I don't want to do any sort of Jalen, Jason debate just because. To be completely frank, it makes me feel like a POS. Like, I don't want to debate between those guys, okay, because they're both great, and I think I just want to appreciate them both. But there's only one finals MVP trophy, right? So there's going to be the discussion there regardless. I don't really care who wins it at the end of the day because if somebody's winning, that means they're putting a ring on their finger, and that's actually the most important thing. You know, I'm big value of team concepts, you know, I, I don't love the individual stuff, okay? Um, but it's either Jalen or Jason for me right now, I'll tell you that much. Um, and I think, you know, Jalen and Jason are going to come out and do another similar thing like they did in game three. You know, 25 plus. You know, I don't know if they're going to replicate their assist numbers. You know, they had 14 combined assists, which is terrific. Um, honestly, it, it can be the Daniel Tice game. And if we win, I could care less who scored most points. So, you know. However we get it done is good with me as long as uh, we finish with more points than the Warriors, honestly. Absolutely, and, and we're looking forward to the game on Friday, man. That kind of wraps it up here at the Sports Ethos Celtics podcast. Make sure you guys head over to Spotify and also Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. We do appreciate if you leave us a five-star review and written review as well. Um, just kind of loose comments there. Uh, you guys can also follow the show on Twitter at uh, ethos Celtics. You can follow Lucas at Luca underscore Gainer and me at Ball and Opinions. For anything sports related or Celtics related, we, we tweet a lot of, in regards to that. We also tweet other things as well. You can always tweet at us. You can DM us if you have any questions or suggestions in regards to the show. And um, as well as make sure that you guys uh, go ahead and check out the rest of Sports Ethos over on our website. We give a lot of content. We got the you know the NFL season coming up. We got some guys to break down there. If you're really into fantasy baseball, Lucas just played bro. fantasy baseball. Man, go ahead, Lucas. Tell tell it's tell him the advantage. Shout out to my guy Joe who does four or five shows a week MLB fantasy stuff. I am what you would call an incredibly casual baseball fan. And Liz, thanks to his, you know, advice and everything, streaming and things like that. I'm seven and one, which I never thought would happen. So, you know, I can tell you firsthand that that advice works. Go check out Joe. And honestly, like Pat said, all the sports ethos stuff is great, man. Uh, no matter what team you're listening to, you know, whether it's you want to tap in with the Warriors to figure out how they view things, whether you want to tap into some NFL you know, or some off-season stuff, some draft stuff. You know, uh, Bill does a great job um, over there at the at the uh, draft rights pod. So go check him out. Corbin too does great work. You know, do the around the around the NBA type of show, more a little bit of everything. So you know, make sure you go and check those guys out, man, because they're uh, they do awesome stuff, man. So go over to sportsethos.com, man. All the shows are posted there. There's articles, you know, daily fantasy, things like that, sports betting. You know, go check that out. All that stuff, really good work from everybody. Everybody at Sports Ethos is great, man. 
Yes, sir. And we're going to catch you guys after that uh, next game. We'll end up probably podcasting on Saturday at some point um, because, you know, obviously Friday, these late games make it kind of harder to podcast right after. So yeah, Lucas and I will we'll definitely look to. It's ridiculous, man. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's wild. Lucas don't even get home until like midnight, man. It's it's tough out here. It's yeah, tough I got home at 1245 last night, man. See, yeah, Lucas wants to go and party a little bit too. He's got to rewatch the games because he's working at the TD Garden and stuff. So, um, we'll we'll sure. definitely try to get you that podcast uh, after Game Four as soon as we can. Thank you guys again. Make sure you guys go ahead and download the Spotify Live app. Come in and join us and ask questions as well. Thank you guys again for coming in and supporting or listening to the podcast. We always appreciate that. Let's go Celtics, baby! Two more wins away. Yes, sir, better eighteen, baby. Appreciate you all. Peace.